Welcome to Are Those For Me, a podcast by florists for florists. I'm Vivian, a floral designer and educator from Studio Hollingsworth. And I'm Morgana, one half of the creative duo Candy MT. I'm also an artist. So thank you for joining us and we hope you enjoy. Today, we're lucky enough to have Rita Feldman on the podcast. Rita was the top of our wish list when we were putting together guests for this season. Rita is the woman behind the very popular No Floral From Instagram. She's a champion of sustainability and really should be credited with bringing the issues around floral foam into the conversation for florists. Aside from this, Rita is also an extremely talented florist who's well-established in Melbourne and regional Victoria. Currently, she's working on a new project, the Sustainable Floristry Network, and she shares more about what that's all about in our chat. She's a strong, clear voice for our industry, and there is so much we can learn from her. We love speaking with Rita, and we hope you enjoy. We recorded this episode back in June, so some of the timelines will be a bit different if you're listening on release day. Thank you for joining us today. We're really excited to chat to you. You were definitely on our wish list when we started putting together who we wanted to talk to about sustainability for this first season. So I was really excited that you were free and keen to chat. Um, so yeah, I guess maybe do you want to tell us a bit about yourself and how you got into floristry and yeah, just just tell us who you are. Yeah, sure. Um, my family, you know, second generation, my, I was kind of born into it. So um, my folks got into it in the 70s. They started with a, a roadside flower stand. Um, my mum ended up doing a course, late 70s, started working in hotels and they had a series of shops. So I sort of grew up with it in that sense. I was just surrounded by it, I guess. I really got into the hotel stuff. So I started helping mum when I was in my early teens uh, and by 18, when I was about 18, I was sort of, you know, doing full accounts, which was which was a really, you know, it was it was quite a privileged sort of introduction, I guess, to get into to start to go into that level. I while I um I was doing the hotels and and working part time in family businesses while I was studying. So when I finished year 12, I did a science degree and then I did a postgraduate uh, a graduate diploma in science journalism. And so my whole life's kind of been juggling, you know, back and forth between floristry and writing and science writing and health, public health communication and, yeah, different, different pieces. So but for the last 14 years, it's been, you know, I, I started, I ran my business as Blooming Brides. That was just meant to be a joke, like, you know, ha-ha. <laughs> and then... <laughs> That joke <laughs> kind of extended for a little bit longer than I first thought. I was just like an idea of doing it on the side while having, you know, a family and then the business got quite big because I moved out. It was out, huge. You know, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was really big. I was really fortunate that when I came, um, you know, back out to the Dandenongs, which is where I grew up, um, that it was the same time that a couple of venues had just opened. And so I got in with two venues, with um, Stones of the Arrow Valley and with Zonzo's quite early and yeah. kind of evolved with them. So it was really good. Yeah, amazing. That makes a lot of sense to me. I didn't know that about your science background and now 
everything that you've done since then makes a lot more sense to me instead of like learning I'm like oh I get it I can see where this like passion kind of comes from now and that's the thing which is really great I think it's really nice you seem to be sort of finding a way to blend the two together um, and that background to kind of our industry which you know so sorely needs it aside from your business the other thing a lot of people would know you from is the from the no floral foam Instagram page which is very, very popular and sort of really took off in the last couple of years. Um, what sort of instigated that? I guess I've always had that awareness that it wasn't so good but I didn't really know what it was and I guess there was a, a bit of a question mark around it. I knew it was, I found out, I don't know, I confirmed that it was plastic, you know, in the mid, you know, 2013 or 14, I looked it up and I had last time I used it I think was like 2016 um for a long time I didn't buy it what happened was is there was so much left over after events in the back room you know going into the bin that I was I was collecting it and feeling like I had to use it to give it a life sort of thing to justify its existence because I mean here you've got these double trays with like a couple of blocks and like 10 tiny holes in them yeah so I I felt, it's really funny because my thinking changed, I felt like I had to use it. Um, and then, of course, I took a step back and went, no, you, of course you don't. Um, and then one day when I went to pack up a wedding, I found that somebody had put all, I don't know, 20, 30 blocks of foam into the green waste, into the composting uh, bit. And that's when I thought, I started thinking about how people perceive the, the product and, um, you know, what the general public must, you know, think about it. They're like, oh, it's green, it's with flowers, it, it must be natural because, of course, you make that assumption that just because something exists that it's passed all these checks and, um, you know, oh, I had a lot to learn <laughs> at that point. <laughs> so, and, yeah, and so I started um, reading up on it and that took me down like the biggest kind of you know internet rabbit hole of all time um and yeah and that's that's when I started you know finding basically I really struggled to find any information on it it was unbelievable and that's when I did find information I thought oh I have to share this because actually there's no there's no easy way for florists to access this information yeah, you're right. Like it, I mean, I remember at TAFE it gets used all the time and there's no discussion. It's like, oh, it's not great and you probably shouldn't handle it without gloves, but there's no, like the, like you said, there's this feeling that it's not good to use, but it's not really, I never really knew why or how yeah. bad it was to use. You know, those sorts of actual details are not really, um, yeah, not really discussed that often in detail. And I yeah. think it, sometimes it's a bit of a case of like don't want to know, you know, once you know it's sort of hard to un unlearn it go back to using it regularly and that sort of thing the the purpose of the page did you sort of start it off mainly to showcase other florists and what you could do without using floral foam or to educate um like alternative techniques or was it sort of more about just like showing how bad foam was or a bit of all of that together yeah look i'd say it was all it was all of all of the above because i mean when you take it out of the picture, you can. There's nothing stopping you from from celebrating flowers in a million different ways, and arranging and coming up with alternative ways to you know achieve 
a, a certain vision of whatever it is, like attaching flowers to a pole or creating an arbour or whatever it is. It just requires a different approach. Um, and so I guess there's a certain there's a certain urgency in the sense that, oh, hang on, this is a this is a plastic product. Uh, we're using it with the water system. It's the worst type of plastic because it, it fragments so quickly. And because there are no instructions with the product on how to dispose of it, it is being like abused. And that's when I, you know, I sort of started finding those, you know, ASMR, what is it? A yeah. yeah, yeah, ASMR videos. I'm just thinking, hang on, which which abbreviation are we talking about? <laughs> um, um, yeah, the, with the crumbling and the the sensory stuff, and then there's a whole huge world of it, and that that's quite terrifying and depressing. So the you've got this this one side where there's abuse, then you've got uh, industry misuse because I think misuse, if given what we know about plastic and the impact that it's having on the natural environment, then then pouring the water down the, the, the sink or putting it in green waste is, is exactly not what we should be doing. And really promoting those individuals who, you know, were making a real effort to, to, to go that step further with design and, and say, yeah, look what we can do. Yeah. And I really yeah. think, I really think that at that point, suddenly... Like, you know, if you're familiar with Instagram and stuff like that, there was a bit of a rebirth of creativity in the flowering, like in floral design, because suddenly another kind of variable came in and that had to be addressed. And suddenly, like, there was all this amazing new kind of new, more of a celebration of flowers rather than what can, what, you know, position can we contort the things into and, you know, that's yeah. sort of yeah, totally. No, I think you're right. I think that's partly that's one of the other reasons which Morgan and I have talked about before why I like not using foam. It's like obviously foam's terrible and I don't want to use it, but I think I design better without it and things fall yeah. more naturally and there's more movement yeah. and the way you work is different. Well, there's not it's not static, whereas foam everything's so inflexible and that works yeah. if you're building a solid wall of flowers, but it doesn't kind of celebrate all the, the movement that you get you know, and those dancey feels that flowers usually bring and should bring? No, but it's the, pro the problem that we've, we've got now is that because, because of the convenience factor and because of the hydration factor that it's sort of whereas, I mean, I still, I got an email today actually from someone saying, oh, um, I have a problem. If I'm not using phone, then I have a problem transporting my flowers you know, out of out of water, you know, and I can't oh, I can't take a container of water. So what do I do? Well, I mean that that problem's existed forever, and in every situation where you're handling flour, you take it from one vessel of water, and you've got to get it to the next vessel of water, and there's a period in between. Um, you know, like I think this person's actually asking about wet packing. You know, like how can you how can you keep the stems kind of hydrated for that, or just at least moist, and so that they don't dry out. So, yeah. so there's a real gap there, I think, in in thinking more than anything. Yeah, because it used. To, I mean, I know I've, I've I've been told there's a shop, you know, in Victoria, we'll say that 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 will do send out their hand ties in fine. So the, the ties done, 
The stems are drawn together and the whole bunch is pressed into a block of foam and then that's wrapped. I've heard of that in shops too. Yeah, instead of doing I mean, a wet, like they just, yeah, it's crazy. That's so grim. It just, <laughs> it makes no sense. And I think yeah. what you, it's so right because it's a convenience thing and it's like once you take that out as an option, then you just have to come up with another solution. It's not like, oh, but the foam's the best way to do it. It's like, well, it's not a way. It's just not an option. Like, sure, it's easier to wet pack and shove them on a brick of foam than it is to do anything else. But it's not an option. It shouldn't be an option. And there are other solutions to the problem and you just need to be, yeah. Well, I think it's also, it's really interesting because, you know, back when Constance Spry was doing floristry, there was no floral foam, really. So those alternatives have existed before. I guess it's sort of like the takeaway coffee cup culture. You know, it's just like a relatively new thing in our yeah. in our cultures you know but it's somehow interesting how there's that knowledge loss there's knowledge loss coupled with uh consume well you now we've now got the problem of consumer expectation is set around that i mean if you think about funerals is that we can have we can make a beautiful hand tied ship that's that's the, the an easy instant. I need a, I need flowers tomorrow for a funeral. What can you do? You can do this. However, in comes um, a level of difficulty these days. The funeral parlour wants them at seven thirty. You know, the, at seven thirty a.m. and the funeral's not till one thirty a.m. And who's going to manage them in between? Or you know, like there's all these sorts of delivery and all these other expectations that sit around this product now and we're going to have to address all of those as part of addressing this this one issue because if this product gets added to the list of plastics to be banned in 2022 then we have no choice you know suddenly the idea of delivering at a specific time for a funeral as it is with a wedding like you you need your bridal flowers at 10 a.m. or you're going to have to have your funeral flowers at 10 a.m. And, and, and there's going to be a cost associated with that because it's a specific delivery time and, all you know, you know most people who do events are familiar with specific times. <laughs> yeah, so, so it, yeah, it's complicated because obviously, and at the moment, look, I'm trying to engage um, cemeteries of Melbourne into to addressing this problem and that's a very, very hard our job. Yeah. Oh, just yeah. following up with the email, you know. <laughs> yeah, trying to educate. There's so many people that need to be educated about the process and all the difficulties that come with it. It's not just a matter of the individual florist making the choice because, as you're saying, it's not always just up to them or the option may be losing out on work to someone who does work in that way or not. And that's not yeah. that's not to be simplified either. It's not like those are real issues that people need yeah. to kind of be able to overcome. Yes. Well, and kind of on that note, like now we're sort of seeing other products coming out, like um, different sort of biodegradable, I'm using air quotes, which is not useful for podcasting, and, you know, like wool products and that sort of thing to replace floral foam. Like what are your feelings on these kind of like produced alternatives? Is that something you're sort of excited about or a bit wary about or, yeah? Oh, the the, the biofoam, very, very wary about because, um uh, RMIT University here in Melbourne did a did a study on floral foam that was published at the end of 2019, and basically that study showed that the the biofoam 
is pretty much identical chemically um, and behaves in the same in the same way. It's plastic. Yeah. Um, plastic, biodegradable plastics, full stop, are not. They, they, they don't exist because those products and this product in particular is designed to break down in incredibly specific conditions. So it's designed for landfill, but landfill varies a lot. But the lab tests, the conditions used to test the product are really strict. They're like over 50 degrees um, Celsius. Um, they've got to be anaerobic with you know no oxygen. They've got to have anaerobic bacteria present. And even then they haven't been shown to biodegrade fully. So what's happening is, is that in those conditions, we're getting partial degradation. Certain parts of that, that product are being eaten away. Put that product into the natural environment, put it in soil or put it in the marine environment, and you may never get that degradation. Or in credit, you, you will, but very, very slowly. And while that product remains a, a plastic, it has it poses the same threat, the same threat as all plastics to animals and, and to working its way into the food chain. And so that's, I guess, the big, big problem with that. It is to be lumped into the same category as regular plant. Yeah. The, 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 the rock wool products, so you've got agri-wool um, here in Australia, along, I guess along the scale of sustainability, it's a lot further along because it doesn't have the same, doesn't pose the same disposal issues. It's not plastic. It's mineral-based. So basically it's like toffee, I guess. It, toffee mixed with rock flour. And what happens is is the, the, the binding agent, when I say that's probably not such a good description, but that's what it is. It's basically powdered rock that's spun together with a, with a binding agent. And that binding agent is sugar-based. And so that should biodegrade. Do we have any studies to demonstrate that? No, but I have interviewed some experts on the subject and that's what they've told me. And so therefore, when that does degrade or the binding agent degrades, you're left with basically a mineral flour or like rock flour, powdered ground up rock. So that's already a fairly. Uh, so, is, that, is that too much info? No, it's great. <laughs> I'm just processing. I'm like, yeah, because again, it's that thing we've sort of been talking about is like, yeah, I have like general feelings and like vague ideas about these sorts of things, but the actual yeah. science and technicality behind that is just like beyond my ability to understand and so it's really great having it explained and kind of talking through the differences between those types of things because I think to me and to a lot of lay people like you know the wool products and the biodegradable foam it's like oh they're both good alternative options you know the way they're branded and the way they're presented to us as like alternatives to foam but it's really important to know the differences between those products yeah look I think um Oh, let me just just give us a second. I put yeah. a little quote up the other day because there's a really interesting article I read on the conversation, and there was this quote: "Biodegrade about this is about biodegradable plastics. Biodegradable plastic promises a plastic that breaks down into natural components when it's no longer wanted for its original purpose. 
But the idea of a plastic that literally disappears once in the ocean, littered on land or in landfill is tantalising, but also at this stage, a pipe dream. Now, that's this is from an article that's been co-authored by um, uh, two research fellows from um, Monash Sustainable Development Institute and, um, from and Nick Florin from the University of Technology in Sydney. So you've got this general idea that this that pursuing these biodegradable plastics is is not the solution. You know, we have to look beyond that. We have to look at different materials. And in the absence of a really good alternative, we have to do without. You know, that's yeah. just how it yeah. is. Like, sorry, can't have your plastic bag. Take a fashion bag from home. Yeah. It's not much different. No, no. And, it's, yeah, once you sort of start thinking about it in that way and kind of putting those sorts of boundaries in place, it's easier to sort of reimagine how to do things. Yeah. Um, so I also wanted to ask you about your new project that you're working on, the Sustainable Floristry Network. Yep. Um, can you tell us a bit about what that is and, you know, how it's all going and how it came to be? I'm really excited to hear about it. Yeah. So um, I guess it's it's evolved from the, the no cell phone stuff mm -hmm. um, because, of course, like lots of, I was getting lots of comments like, it's not just foam, it's this, it's this, it's this, it's this. And so in 2018, I was in the UK and I, I, I spoke at a uh, sustainable floristry seminar there hosted by Shane Connolly. And afterwards, we're just like, oh, we, there's got to be the education piece here. Like there's, we, we need it. And then, you know, I, 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 I started kind of thinking, what could that be in consideration of my own experiences? I think it was Mick from um, Nude Blooms who's like, Brady, you should just write down, you know, what you've been doing, um, which isn't sort of the way that I've gone, but it's it's got it's been a guiding force. So I have been uh, a professional development program for florists to bring like the whole industry kind of up to speed with current ideas about sustainability and, and what that means and where, what, ch you know, changes need to happen and, practical ideas and solutions and stuff like that and that's been you know sort of chipping away I really got into it during lockdown last um and that is my nine to five it's research and writing at the moment so I'm not really doing any floristry uh much at all at the moment yeah um and that's that's it's really good it's it's there's sort of growing band of ambassadors who are really keen to promote the, pr the principles that are being developed I've spoken to a few universities and I've been to, um, working a little bit with Coventry University, talking to them because they're doing a lot of work in the, um, you know, looking at supply chain issues. Yeah, and that's a big job. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just a slight thing, just a little bit, just <laughs> a few things to cover up. Yeah. I'm so excited about this because I think it's something we desperately need. I think there's a lot of well-intentioned people but not really knowing where and how to implement right. that, yeah. you know. And and a lot of it is understanding concepts. You know, I've had to learn so much in, in, in researching it. it. It's a complete, what it is, it's a completely new philosophy. It's a completely new approach to running a business and, and 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 floral design and what what it is 
in a nutshell, it sort of aligns with thinking about circular, the circular economy. This is particularly, I guess, related to products and, and, what, and what we're handling. And that is just thinking, where did things come from and where are they going? What are the possible end result of, of these products, whether it's making a little bit of a, um, you know, a box arrangement and it goes to a nursing home? What is a realistic endpoint for that box once once the flowers have died how how what is this um container that's being used you know if it's a ceramic container and it's jammed full of floral foam which i've seen on many many occasions what happens then um does it get the answer is generally it's going to be thrown in, in landfill because what we've got are all these like really complicated mixed waste stream pieces and when the more waste streams you've got in the one object <laughs> the more likely it is to go to landfill the more i mean otherwise it's like flowers go over to there you know foam's got to go over to there the container might be reused or maybe it's broken or you know that's a pretty short life for a piece of ceramic you know so so i guess it's understanding where we're going as a broader society with thinking and and waste and processing and um, use of materials and resources and applying those patterns of thought to specifically to this industry yeah. including yeah. including growing and and flowers wow sounds amazing yeah. um so i imagine you must get a lot of people looking to you for ways to design without floral foam. And I can imagine that the emotional labour of repeating that is just like can probably get pretty tiring. So it sounds like this, this sort of new sustainable pathway that you're generating at the moment, like will it involve tips and things like that? Yeah, absolutely. And, and look, a big part of it is... Um, wanting to create sort of video demonstrations that people don't have to pay, you know, five and a half thousand dollars to, to go and learn that technique. It's it's basic sort of stuff. I mean there's no there's no great secrets behind any of any of this. That's 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 the truth of the matter. It's it's driving the styles. It's 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 I guess certain styles and designs that they're obsolete now. I mean that you know that bouquet holder, the plastic holder with a ball of foam on the end and a little thing? Like, oh seriously. That was the first bouquet still, I made at TAFE. And yeah, then they made it. It's still pour. taut. It's yeah, still yeah. And then we had to pour cold glue all in the back. It was like no. a lilies. And then, you know, that glue that you get pouring it. It was, and that's what that's how we were taught to make bouquets at TAFE. That yeah. is like, grim. That's right. And so there's stuff like that that's just like, hang on, it's done. We're done with it. It's over. The, the mm. party's finished for that piece of rubbish equipment. Yeah. It sort of reminds me of that um, that term in cradle-to-cradle cradle design, that monstrous hybrid um, idea where you just kind of left with this thing that isn't floral, it's not just glue, it's not a textile, it's just like everything all mixed together in this heinous product <laughs> so I wanted to talk to you about your flowering now installation um so where you did a beautiful 
all bendy Waratah stem piece. Um, and I couldn't believe when I read on your description that it said that they were considered seconds. Yeah. Um, so to me, I feel like almost everyone that I know, they really prefer those bendy stems and there's a real hunger for it. And I just, I guess, wanted to have that conversation with you about why you think there's this gap. Like I feel like those natural bendy stems often don't even make it to the market so we don't even get to have the option and and why do you think there's that divide um where there's this expectation with growers that they should be providing these perfect upright stems but then the florists actually want the opposite of that and how do we have that conversation and It's it's a tricky one because when you you know if you've got a retail store and you've got those on display they won't sell the consumer, it's like fruit and veg, I guess. Mm. The consumer is always going to look for the healthiest item. I guess it's just that um, supply chain kind of issue where if you go to any grower up here in the hills, um, they're picking for bunches because for, for the good for a good-looking bunch because if they're not a good-looking bunch, they're not going to sell. And it's sort of finding that I, I'm often saying, oh, you should pick things at different height, you know, like kale. You kale, you get it yes. all at one height. But there's a level of production line, ease of production line, I guess, operation that goes with just dividing things into length and stem and price and all the rest of it. So it's it's really tricky because that's it is it's very much a production line and a bunching line and it's high speed work and there's sort of not that time and also when it gets down to wobbly branches and all the rest of it, it they take a lot of room in the trucks True. and so I think a lot of wholesalers don't want to take that to the market because it's yeah. just too awkward and it takes up the space of like three trolleys. Yeah. So. yeah, interesting. I guess for me, like I would prefer to pay more for that unique look, which I think is really interesting because we've got that opinion that they're considered seconds. And, I mean, obviously if they've got disease and their leaves are looking kind of gross, then that's a different story. But just looking at the stems or the misshapen flowers or whatever like that to me looks really, there's a beauty in that. And I would be willing to pay more for that because it feels um exclusive and it feels unique and it feels like something that not everyone is going to have and I think it's just I don't know I really would love to shift that conversation to make it an asset and make it something that people are willing to pay a little bit more for to like justify that space in the truck but yeah look I I I totally agree with you this I mean if you it, it it boils back to that, you know, what is nat- what is natural? What is well yeah. there's a there's a huge amount of imperfection in nature. Um and whether that's that's not necessarily caused by disease either. It's not necessarily it, it's just growth in all its different forms. And so, you know, if you I always think like, you know, if you've got a rose bush that's flushing you don't have every single flower on it in flower at the one time you've got some buds you've got some green buds coming up you've got some that are open perfectly and you've also got some that are that are past it um that is a better snapshot of roses and 10 exactly perfect stems 
but I think that you know even if you if you follow that example further um roses won't necessarily you know often they'll go the heads will go over if they're picked too early or they won't open and once again you've got that expectation with the customer is that those roses will are at some point going to look at their peak you know that that full full blown openness um you know like i remember just having the, sh the, sh the shop in the city and and just people saying oh you know all the buds didn't open because it's a bunch of garden roses and each stem's got a beautiful big head on it but it's also got like you know five auxiliary buds and they didn't open because they were never going to open but there's a complaint <laughs> mm. and that's a communication piece you know between the florist yeah. and the customer the rules are ready it's to be changed i mean this, it's it's pretty, if you take a step back and you look at this industry, it's pretty amazing how the rules have been so under the control of these uh, accessories and these materials for so long. I'm talking, you know, mostly about foam and, the, and the, our dependence on looks and designs and the set designs that you get taught at, you, you know, in your course or whatever. Um, they've got to change. They just have to. That's it's. It, we're done. Moving on. <laughs> and so I think that the consumers will um, catch up with that pretty quickly once they know because they can see it happening with all other industries. Yeah, I definitely think as well. Like, who doesn't want to feel good about purchasing something? Yeah, who doesn't want to know that they're making a good choice for the planet? Um, it seems like a no-brainer to me that the yes. industry would want to provide that option because it is such a feel-good choice. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Um, yeah, I think the big thing is you can kind of educate florists as much as possible, but if they're not making those changes, then you really do need to show the consumer because a lot of the time a consumer might think, oh, it's a rose, but, you know, they might not necessarily, you know, think, oh, that's come all the way from Kenya or you know, great, it's not in floral foam or it's in a glass vase that can be reused or recycled or whatever, but it's, yeah, yeah. I feel like there's a real knowledge gap for consumers, so I'm really excited. Do you yeah. have a, a release time or are you working to a deadline? Um, <laughs> I'm desperate. Yeah, like <laughs> Look, the next, the next, the next few months is going to be quite, quite critical in terms of getting, getting a lot of this, this, the content sort of finalized i have done a lot which is which is good um but yeah i think the next until say the next two to three months there's a we'll plan to get quite a bit done i'm working with a really great editor at the moment um and that's helping helping things you know move along quite quickly but there's so a lot exciting. of work <laughs> work I can't even begin I wouldn't even know where to start on a project like that because <laughs> it's just it just seems like a monolith but I'm really excited you're doing it yeah look it's it's a it's 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 a it's evolved you know like I went in with one sort of set and they've been shaped and I had the input of um uh Sarah O'Brien who a communications consultant from who has the flower press blog in in Melbourne um, and she's done a lot of work to to helping to shape this as a as like a communications platform, um, and you know we've 
done working with you know branders and marketers and um, constant sort of consultation with with experts in their field to you know because there's a lot of there's a lot in a lot of places there are no answers there's no study that says oh this is the answer so you can only really go and interview people and, and find out that way yeah like with the um you know all the bleached products and oh. stuff like that you know there's no so i've written about that that's that's right. um so well, the, the the blog the blog is live so there's a lot of the issues are covered covered on that right. we'll link to um, that in the show notes <laughs> yeah so there's there's quite a lot of a lot of information there that can help sort of get the process going or at least getting the florist headspace around these sorts of new ideas and approaches and understand why we were going to ask you what's next but i feel like that's what's next right <laughs> i have one more question oh, if that's okay go. yeah sorry I just wanted to ask you, like, um, at the, like, obviously, you know, floral firms like a big part. And, you know, as you're saying, you started this platform to start thinking about other sort of issues. What would you say are the other big kind of urgent areas of attention in floristry, apart from the foam, that are like uh, yeah. big problems uh, that we need to sort of consider? Question. Thanks, yep. The, you know, like with, with, with food, we have to, you know, there's a lot of parallel, you know, draw parallel parallels there with the production of flowers and food um i uh the the team from coventry university in the uk have done a lot of work around this um and there's been the odd study out there looking at, at carbon footprints associated with certain growing what we can definitely say is local's not always an indicator of of carbon and chemical footprint because if you're growing out of season and you're having to create these sort of artificial conditions, then that can be associated with a lot of heating and um, cooling or whatever it is, you know, refrigeration and all the rest of it. But seasonality is the most important um, factor when it comes to to creating the smallest possible uh, environmental footprint is... is, is, um, when things are, you know, just simply because you're not working against it, you're not forcing, there's not all these extra kind of inputs that have to be, that are involved in trying to create the environment in which they can grow. So when things pop out of the ground when they're meant to, that's when you're meant to sell them or use them. <laughs> it's pretty pretty simple. Um, so, um, and that means... That means things like in June in, in, in Melbourne that we get creative with um, branches and greens that um, are available, you know, not as deciduous varieties. And you have that, you always look, I think, to, to nature as the, um, as inspiration. So look out in the garden. Well, I've got about three blue salvia flowers and that's it. Um, and the rest of it is branches and, and, and foliage and this twisting and turning in the garden. And it's about capturing that look and, and, le- and embracing that look. And then when we get to spring, yep, that's when we go, woohoo, for peonies. You know, it, just satisfying this need to have peonies all year round. It's like, you know, I think we all know what happens when we have a bowl of ice cream every single night. <laughs> but you can have it occasionally. 
and it's okay. And it stops them being special. Like, I don't know, but for me, when the, one of the things I love about being a florist is that things come and things go and I really look forward to each thing because yeah. I know it will end and then I will enjoy something else. But, you know, that's kind of important, I think, as a part. That's what makes what we do different to something else, like at other mediums where they have everything all the time. Yeah. Absolutely. Remembering that and celebrating that, I think, and and tuning in a little bit more. Like, actually, if you go into my back garden and you look closely, there's also violets popping up everywhere, Mine you too. know, and it's finding all those, looking at, at what we can do with what we've got and accepting that we can't have it all, everything all the time. Yeah. What was the, the other thing was that I think that we need to, to there's, I've got a section in there that's on communication. That's a really important thing between customers, between florists, with florists to, to growers, that the conversations have, and the questions have to be asked. Yeah, we need to be asking a lot more questions about where things come from and where they're going. Um, um, yeah, I mean, we don't have as much, here in Australia, but the the topic of certification, we're going to see a lot more of that, especially in the Northern Hemisphere. It already exists, certification and sustainability. It's it's tricky because there's all these different standards. Um, there are moves to create, simplify those standards. I'm talking about things like fair trade and, um, you know, you've got South America's got its own lot and it, it's quite complicated. There's about 20 different stamps that you can get what do they all mean? You know, understanding that. Um, yeah. Just kind of understanding what we're in this for and having a think about it, I think. Mm. Um, so I just got an email from the Melbourne Market about a big survey. It touches on, there was a question in there about how important do you think sustainability will be to you and the industry in the near future? And I would have loved your input into that form for them you know as a data point i will make sure i get a copy of the survey yeah. <laughs> i'm in con i'm actually in contact with the market authority at the moment so and i'm due to to, to speak to someone so maybe i'll be yes, right. it sounds it's a really exciting survey because it also touches on things like culture at the market and yeah. um and things like that so yeah i would love yeah know. look we, we've got a lot of, there's a few side projects happening too that are related to this. And in Melbourne, um, I teamed up with a, um, a plastics expert um, by the name of um, Edward Whitehead. And he's been, he's amazing because he really understands plastics and, and the change that needs to happen there. Um, and we're looking at a um, collection and recycling scheme for plastic sleeves in, in starting in Melbourne soon. Great. So we've been working on that for quite some time and hopefully that will launch soon. So that's, yeah, that's a big one because it's it's complicated. It's a lot more complicated than you can yeah, what, imagine. What do you think about the plastic sleeve situation? Well, as he explains to me, there is no technology there, and when I say technology, there is no product or a solution to, to replace plastic sleeves. And if you look at plastic sleeves in operation, they serve a big, they do play a big role a lot of the time. It's not a case of um, just get rid of them. There's a reason why flowers come in a sleeve, because they offer protection and they stop waste. 
And waste, if you allow the waste to get out of hand, well, there's your carbon footprint, you know, like there's, there's all this. So, so the issue is that it's plastic. If that plastic can tip into a system and this is what we're, we're developing, then we have a solution, part of a solution. It is not a solution for the plastic waste that does not tip into that system. Um, but, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, we ideally, of course, you wouldn't have plastic because the issue with plastic is that once it's in, you know, it blows away, that's when it becomes a problem. Um, the answer there is to, to, you know, not use sleeves wherever possible. Number one, you just follow the waste pyramid. You know, avoid is, is, is the first one um, or refuse or whatever. Um, if, there is, if there are possibilities for using craft paper or protecting things in that way, well, that's, that's, that's better in the sense of disposal because obviously we know that it can be compost. Well, you know, it can it's compost friendly, can be recycled. Um, it's made from a renewable resource. Um, so, it's, it's, so it is a really complicated one. And, of course, I'm, you know, I was like anti-plastic, anti-plastic, but you have to recognise that these things, you can't suddenly stop processes that have existed for a long time overnight. It's, it's a slow process of change. But the more energy that's put towards that change, the better. Mm. So, um, yeah, I'm really, it's going to be, I'm really looking forward to, to getting this happening. Um, yeah, it's yeah. We'll, we'll be announcing it. You'll we'll get everyone to help spread the message when it's oh, when yes. I'm ready to go. Yeah, sure. gladly. I, I don't think that's a problem in Melbourne. No, <laughs> we're very good at spreading messages. <laughs> so, what's your favourite thing about the industry? Oh, the the the, the people, the community. Yeah, definitely. Um, up here in the hills, it's, um, you know, it's really good fun. I've had a studio above Lakeside Flowers now for four years and I would consider Lakeside Flowers to probably be the centre of the universe, at least in Lombok. Um, <laughs> it's really everyone calls in and everyone drops in and, um, you know, I feel very much uh, at home with, it, the hills, hills folk more so than in the city, way, way more. Um, with growers, I've got lots of, you know, really good um, friendships and, and relationships that I, that I really value. So I'd have to say that that's outside of working, you know, with flowers. I can't do it anymore. I've, I've got RSI, so I have no choice. <laughs> you know, I had to find a, another path and it just so happened that this one sort of created it, you know. Yeah. always good to have a science degree to fall back on hey yeah. <laughs> who knew so what yeah. flower is your I would never ask what's your favorite flower but what is your current favorite current favorite I would say Daphne just because I picked oh. some at or just You've to have some. on my desk yeah I've got some it's Whoa. flowering too that early, feels early. early yeah too early too early Interesting. yeah yeah so that's today's favorite flower yeah yeah and one thing uh, that you wish people outside of the industry would would understand? Oh, goodness me. Um, that florists work really, 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 really hard. 
<laughs> I think that um, I think that that um, maybe you know, like maybe I think maybe maybe that's not the right answer there. I, I think people probably can see that they do work really really hard. Um, yeah, but when people ask if you just played with flowers, it's oh, it's a beautiful life. yeah. Oh, yeah. it must be a lovely job just standing yeah. around playing with flowers. Yeah. I mean, if everyone's I wasn't a lawyer, that. I would be a florist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, um, and that um, that being a good florist, this is this is not really out people outside the industry, but that 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 you have to do it for a long time. You have to know flowers, I think. Yeah. Hmm. Um, and now this is just sort of a fun one. Um, well, two fun ones. Okay. Back in the day when you were walking down the street with a bunch of flowers and someone says, are those for me? Are those for me? What do you say? <laughs> What's your witty comeback to that? Uh, yeah. I, do you know what? I think someone said that to me once and I gave it to them. What? Yeah, yeah I think I'm so I'm, good. This is outside the. Oh no! I was outside the um, the shop in Paran about. This is early two thousands, and I had to drop something somewhere. And someone and I think it was, you know, your classic guy being being a smartass, and he's like, oh, yeah. for me? And I said, yes, they are, and I gave them to him. <gasps> that's a good response. That's amazing. Yeah. That's so. Yeah. Um, that's really calling the bluff. Isn't I it? think they were like yeah. calendula or something from memory. So good. So good. And do you have any unpopular opinions that don't necessarily need an explanation but just? Oh, how long have you got? (laughs) Go on. I really enjoyed last night when you were talking about on your Instagram pantyhose coloured flower roses. And it's just meant to say, Morgie and I like that. to be the new name. Oh, I I just can't believe the obsession with manipulating flowers dyeing them like it's like no one are you not happy enough with what you know is this um you know this dying of phalaenopsis and 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 roses and everything else oh i can't i cannot do it i just yeah. i just i just all i see is a flower that's been dyed i don't see the flower anymore yeah yeah, it's like when you're when you're using something like that, and everyone's like, "They're so amazing! They don't even look real." I'm like, "That's not a compliment." No, like, that's it's, right. It's a compliment. That's like being grown and being a real flower is so much more impressive than it being a fake flower. Like that's yeah. it's not a good thing. Yeah. No. Yeah. No, that's I've got lots of unpopular things, but <laughs> I, I try not to share them too much. <laughs> <laughs> so, top unpopular opinion for the day is that. Beige roses look like pantyhose. Oh, <laughs> once upon a time we had Sahara. Oh yeah, Paul Highland, Paul Highland used to grow them, and and I think he was probably at one stage. Oh no, there were two growers, Hollis Road and Paul Highland would grow Sahara roses, and nobody grew Sahara anymore because they they're such a low yielding rose and slow grower. Um, and then along comes like this whole other world of. You know, and then it, then it, and then that's you know. I think um, actually, Mel Cecilia Fox, Mel Stapleton, messaged me, and she said it's because of Instagram filters, and it's so true. It's like of course, what's that? The CPR. Yeah, it's the, that's exactly right. Yeah. Oh it's wow! Desert tones, roses, or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everything has to look like it's in a sunset. 
Yeah. It's like it's not always sunset. Not everything. <laughs> looks like. Life isn't a sunset. Yeah. Exactly. Aww. Is there anything um, that you came here to say that we haven't asked you that you wanted to add? You know, with what, what I've been doing, that there's perhaps going to be a little bit of resistance. And um, I've certainly, yeah, I've certainly felt that. And, and, and there's been the odd, you know, message and phone call and stuff like that. But I guess the point is, is that, what I'm doing, it, none of it's my opinion. None of it. What I'm doing is reporting on creating a connection between what's happening out there in the greater world and what's happening in the industry and in terms of change and what needs to happen to address these these bigger issues of, of, of climate change and, and of um, resource management and, and, and of pollution and stuff like that. So um, it's funny because I feel there are a lot of opinions in the um, in the industry, and I'm really I I really I really want to keep mine to myself in some ways, you know, because um, you know personal taste is something different, you know, a, a, a dyed orchid is it really that bad if they're using a vegetable dye? Well, no, it's not. It, it, it's a sort of a subjective thing, but you know whether I like that orchid or not is is not is not part of it. What I'm looking at is what impact does dying that orchid have on not only an environmental thing but perception, people's view of what flowers are and what and how they should be treated. I guess. Rita, thank you so much, not just for coming on the podcast today, but for everything that you're doing. I just I feel like the industry is so desperate for it and I'm really excited and I don't think everyone would have the stamina for it. So thanks for being that person. Thank you yeah. both. No, yeah. it's, been, it's, it's fun and it's really, you know, I really value you know, having an opportunity to have a chat like this because, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's important to get these ideas out, I think. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Yeah. There's also, you know, you say there's resistance, but there's also a huge amount of support for, for this. Yeah. No. Well, thank you. Yeah, we do really appreciate it, and it's the industry absolutely needs it. And I think the more annoying and crappy it is that there's people kind of resisting, um, and that you have to bear the brunt of that. I feel like the more we talk about it, and the more normalised it becomes, and the more people understand how and why to work in this way, the less that's going to happen. You know, it's sort of, it's hard to be at the front of anything, I think, you know, and sort of being the ones kind of pushing these new ideas is always resistance, um, but it's important. And like you said, it's not a, it's not an option, you know, it's yeah. not a, we're running, it's not a, yeah, it's not an either or, it's not a choice now, like these things, we have to change the way we work. Um, That's yeah. So thank you. Thank you. Very hope nice. your, um, hope your afternoon's cosy. <laughs> you too. Thank you. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this chat with Rita as much as we did. Huge thank you to Rita not only for coming on the podcast, but also for being such an industry leader and an important voice. We've got links to all of Rita's projects in the show notes, so definitely check in there to continue learning. Thank you for joining us for another episode. We're always looking for feedback and suggestions of what topics to cover, and we especially want to hear your unpopular opinions. 
So you can follow us on Instagram or shoot us an email at me at gmail.com. We have links to both in our show notes. The show is edited as always by Viv. Our sweet theme tune was made by Christopher Port. And as always, if you have an amazing comeback to the question, are those for me? Please let us know because we've got nothing. <laughs>